Welcome to the most listened to golf in the world, the Fairways of Life show, on air, online, and around the world. With the most candid interviews, unforgettable stories, taking you beyond the ropes. Here's your host, New York Times best-selling author and Golf Channel's Matt Adams. And it is an absolute delight to welcome you into the Fairways of Life show, our first show of 2024. Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a couple, actually, since we were together last. We traditionally break after the RSM Classics. Remember, we broadcast live from the RSM Classic. It's right before Thanksgiving. And then enjoy the holiday season. But the game of golf continued to churn on through that period with some major events that took place over the course of the last few weeks. Consider the fact that John Rahm announced that he was joining Live Golf and all the reaction that came from that. We're going to be hearing from John Rahm on today's show. Also, the RNA and the USGA announced the details of the golf ball rollback. We'll get into that a little bit uh, as well so that you understand what those details are. And from a, I guess, a PR standpoint, think about how well it played out for the USGA and the RNA. They made their announcement, and it was less than a week later, John Rahm announced that he was joining uh, Live, and that knocked everything else off the front page. So from a PR control standpoint, it was perfect for the governing bodies in terms of getting the announcement out there, and then it didn't linger and become a huge thing, negative or positive. It just was swept away by the big news of John Rahm. But also big news during this period was Tiger Woods, he who just recently turned 48 years old. Does that make you feel old? Tiger Woods is now 48, but he played twice during the period that I was just referencing uh, at the Hero World Challenge and the PNC Challenge. And Tiger spoke afterwards about how he was feeling, how his body's feeling, what he thinks about moving forward. Can he win again? You know, a lot of things are, are aching a lot more than my ankle, which is uh, the way it goes. Um, I'll be able to, to walk and play. Um, we've been working out hard be able to recover. We've been training every day, which is great. And uh, uh, it's been nice to knock off a lot of the rust that, uh, and some of the doubt that I've had. Because uh, quite frankly, I haven't hit a, a shot that counted in a long time. So to having to post a score and hit shots on the right number and uh, hit shots with consequence, uh, it's been nice. Well, I think that if, if given the fact that if, if I'm able to, to practice and, and, and do the things that I know I can do and prepare, I know that I, I can still do it. I, I can still hit the golf ball. It's just a matter of, of of prepping and get enough reps in and get enough work in and and being right physically and the, and the, the endurance capability of it. I mean, I, I haven't had the leg you know, good enough where I've been able to compete and play a lot of rounds. Um, I've had a lot of procedures over the years and that's just part of the part of it. And if, if I know if, if I can practice, I know I can still do it. I can still hit the golf ball. I can still chip. I can still pot. Um, granted, it's also putting it all together for 72 holes. And um, that, you know, that's the, the challenge, the challenging part of it. So for Tiger Woods, the thing that I wonder about with with Tiger, when he played those two events and and he had said many times, during the course of that run, over the course of these two events, the sound you just saw, of course, from the PNC, that he'd like to play at least once a month. And in a second, I want to take a look at signature events and see if we can kind of pick and choose where we think Tiger might play accordingly. But first, I, I want to ask you guys this question. 
when you think about Tiger Woods and who he is, arguably the greatest golfer of all time, the only other person that we can compare him to in terms of the greatest professional golfers are Jack Nicklaus, right? But by the time Jack Nicklaus was 48 years old, he was two years past having won that remarkable Masters at Augusta National in 1986 at the age of 46. But Jack Nicklaus, and I think by his own admission, he would tell you this too, he was no longer fully vested in the game competitively. That doesn't mean that when he teed it up, he didn't try to play the best that he, that he could. And we saw that well into deep into his 50s that he was contending in big events, including majors. No, what I'm talking about is that by that time, Jack Nicklaus was focusing on his golf design business. He was focusing on his various other business interests and golf as a competitive life's vocation had really kind of taken a back seat. That does not appear to be the case with Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods seems to thirst for the competitive scenario, the, the, whether we're talking about the PGA Tour, where I just mentioned he wants to play at least once a month, and we're going to get into that in a little detail in just a second, or recently we heard that he fully intends to play in the PGA Tour champions, which I think is fascinating and great, plus you can use a golf cart on that. So, Tiger looked okay in those in those two events. He certainly didn't seem to be as physically labored as he had previously. We're talking about, again, lots of times with Tiger, it's a little bit about reading clouds. He didn't seem to be limping as much as he had been previously. Now, as to the signature events, 2024 is a brand new season on the PGA Tour. And I say that with intent because previously FedEx Cup points for the last decade plus, it came carried over from the fall into January. Well, this is absolutely a fresh start. Everybody's starting from zero. So when you look at the signature events, see if you can figure out where Tiger would play. Now, I would say the Genesis Invitational Right, I could see Tiger playing in the Genesis Invitational. I'm undecided on whether he would go Arnold Palmer Invitational players because obviously he's going to be at the Masters. I wonder if it's going to be a three-event run there because he's won at the at Bay Hill, what, eight times? Uh, he's won the players a couple of times, and of course his history with the Masters is very well known. So we'll see how that plays itself out. From there, I know he loves the Wells Fargo Championship. Uh, then you see the PGA Championship. We know he's going to play there. Will he play at Jack's event at the Memorial? U.S. Open uh, at Pinehurst. We know he's going to be there. Then, of course, you see the Open and the FedEx Cup playoffs. I'm not sure what Tiger's position will be on that or if he'll be eligible to get into that based upon his play on the buildup. Now, when he was talking about his body, and this part is absolutely remarkable. This graphic is courtesy of Golf Digest where we get into – the rigors of what Tiger has gone through, some of his own making, and some just because there's a lot of miles on the chassis. So when you hear that Tiger Woods is 48 years old, uh, it's, it's different parts of his body at the very least uh, seemingly are quite a bit older than that. 30 major injuries, 12 of which required major surgeries. He's had nine back issues alone, of which seven times it required surgery. Seven left knee issues. And oh, by the way, remember, he has broken both legs, one of them a stress fracture, fracture and one of them from a horrific car accident that he continues to uh, come back from. So 
all of these questions surround a Tiger Woods. I think from a fan's perspective, are you still vested in Tiger Woods? Does it excite you that you get to see maybe the GOAT play golf again? Is Tiger and does Tiger still move the needle? I think it's a rare treat in any sport when we get to see one of the game's GOATs continue to play Continue, continue to compete, especially with Tiger Woods, where so many times during the course of his career, we ask the question of, can he, will he, would he even be able to with what he is going through? And he has gone through so, so very much with his body. We shall see how that plays itself out. As I mentioned, John Rahm going to live golf was absolutely huge. It caused all kinds of reactions back and forth. And when we come back, you're going to hear from the man himself. John Rahm explains how and why he went to live as the Fairways of Life show continues. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery and visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs, the Tour Ball reinvented. The Gen 6 Iron is a culmination of everything that we have learned as a team, the absolute best golf club I've ever hit. It's something special. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 Iron. The longest, most accurate irons we've ever made. They go higher and farther than any iron that I have hit to date, and they're so easy to hit. Super excited for the consumer to try this. They're gonna love them. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm gonna go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're gonna need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. 
Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern lower peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to BoyneGolf.com. Oh, nice photo. That was that was from the off season. We did. Donna wanted to do this tour of Christmas markets. I don't know. I, I wasn't. I didn't really know anything about Christmas markets. I'm not sure if you guys knew what Christmas markets are, but we went, we went through Germany, Austria, and Switzerland and visited all these different places, right? This is, this is, that's actually a photo that Donna took. It reminded me, Dom, of those photos you took when you guys were in that national park, because it looks like something you'd get in a poster, but this was just taken wandering through the town. And there was a Matterhorn in the background. So we saw obviously incredible sights. We went up there this was outside of Munich, the new Schwanstein castle that we visited, toured it. It was, it was incredible. It, it got nicer at the end of the day, but when we went up in the morning, it was like a freezing rain, and you have to go up the side of this mountain to get there. That was interesting. And, oh, there's uh, Stan and Man. That's uh, my Dutch son, as I call him. We, were, we, were, we visited him and his girlfriend when we were uh, traveling through Switzerland. They met us by train. And so we had a fun. We we just had we were actually the formal part of our group, which is interesting because most of the photos I showed you were not part of that. They were just when we were on our own because we were there for for a few weeks. But the formal part, we were with this group, and they had us on a big coach bus. It had fifty two seats on it. Every seat had a fanny in it because there were so many people on this trip, and they took us to really cool places. Again, if there was a castle, if there was a palace, we saw it. Uh, incredible churches we saw, um, a lot of history, you know, obviously, that, that you would do. And then we toured all these Christmas markets. And I would describe Christmas markets as basically, I guess it would be equivalent to a country fair, except there was snow everywhere. There was record snowfall when we were there, blizzards when we were there, which we were prepared for. We had the clothing. But, you know, each there's like a booth, and the booth's maybe 15 feet long. And they're either selling food, booze, Christmas ornaments. Uh, there's, there's, and then different Christmas markets have different themes. One of them we went to had a had a medieval theme, believe it or not. So you could you could literally buy. There were multiple of those booths that were selling clothing from the Middle Ages, and I'm I'm not sure who'd want to buy it. You could buy helmets and, and swords and all kinds of stuff. I'm not sure who that client would be, but if you're into the Middle Ages and wearing clothes that they wore at the time, you can get them. So it was, it was very, very cool. And as I was mentioned in the last segment, which you guys finally got to see, we were able to do it in its entirety. So today is officially our first show of 2024 where so much took place. So while I'm on the road, Dom, I got my phone and, you know, I could see what's going on with Tiger play and I could see uh, what was going on with the, USGA and the RNA, you know, coming out with, with their news. Uh, I mean, you can see it in this little graphic that Dom has up there. Matt goes to Europe. Dom goes to Florida. We'll get to Tiger returns to golf, uh, golf rollback, 
2023 PIP results. And then Nate Lashley lashed out uh, with that. We might, I'll get into that if we have time. If not, maybe tomorrow. Uh, live off-season moves, right? And it's not just John Rahm. It's about their schedule and all the rest. Uh, TGL, remember they had the, the collapse of the facility, but it was kind of one of these facilities that was like, if you guys go to a driving range, uh, we used to have one right around the corner from us when I uh, worked up at Northwestern Golf in Chicago. It, it's held up by air. You know, you hit balls and stuff in it, but it's like a big tent. And, well, that's what they had, and it collapsed. And and so they've pushed everything off for, for a year. Uh, Luke Donald coming back for a second time as Ryder Cup captain for – uh, Team Europe, et cetera, all kinds of stuff that was going on. So I'm following it all. And from that standpoint, I have to tell you, I felt a little bit like I was in a gilded cage because all of this stuff was happening. We thought, and, and for years it generally is, Dom, a very quiet time of year for us to go away and do stuff. And it wasn't quiet at all. It was almost, it was a little bit like a torture that all this was going on when when neither one of us were in a position to do anything about it. I wonder what we would have done differently, but uh, your trip was definitely one that was very different than mine. Uh, where I went off to the snow, you came down to the sunshine. I drove 2,152 miles Whoa. in December with my family. We went all over the place. Uh, obviously, I'm in the Carolinas. Happy New Year, by the way. Yeah, it's happy good to New see Year, everybody. everybody. And it's good to hear from folks who are coming in. We're already getting Happy New Year messages. What uh, picture nice is this? to be back. Those are the mangroves in the Everglades. Um, Looks like a bunch really, of dead sticks. Really incredible. Really, It was really special if you've been down there. I've never been down there. tour on the, the absolute bottom of Florida. And also in the Everglades. Andrew, you can bring that in. That is uh, manatees. Uh, there's not a lot of them left anywhere in the world, really, and we got to see them. They're, like, literally right – they're, like, hanging out in the marina, and they are ginormous. And, of course, the kids love this stuff. You know what I mean? And we also went up a little bit further uh, into Cape Canaveral. We saw the um, Kennedy Space Center, which I'd never been to, which is incredible. That's a picture of the shuttle, the Atlantis shuttle. Anybody that hasn't been there – I am not a space guy. Like, I'm not a space geek. That is not who I am. And I was blown away by it. I was super impressed. It was super interesting. And we, we went to the beach uh, to, to, you know, explore the beach, be on the beach. And Florida threw 55 mile per hour. I it looks a little us. rough. So there are my kids depressingly looking at the water that their parents have told them they may absolutely not go into because the waves were like 15 feet high. Every morning we walked out there. And they're just standing there in the wind. You can Wally see my world is hair, closed. Like, stiff in the breeze. Yeah, we're like, we can't go out there. And they're like, why? It's not so bad. It's like, you could die. Do you understand? You could die. You cannot go in that water. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. The, the one thing I will say, and I think it's a testament to how much we love our job. I was texting Matt over the break. He's in, like, Germany. I'm in Florida. And, you know, John Rom goes. And I'm like, I want to go in the air right now. And you're like, I want to I go in the air right now. And we're both... Stuck on vacation. <laughs> I'll tell you, dude, it was So hard. I, I, I love my job, and I am thrilled to be back and excited to talk about all the moving parts going on right now in, in the game of golf. And we're going to get to some of it today. 
And over the coming weeks, we're going to try and break down. You saw that list of stuff that happened. We well, you got the John Rahm sound once. coming up today. You spoke yeah. with David yeah, Ferris. There's we so much that. to talk about. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. By the end of the trip, you know, when Donna would say, well, they have another Christmas market. I was done. I was done with the Christmas market. So there was all this going on. The announcement came out about the golf ball rollback. And you're like, you know, you're like, on the road. <laughs> yeah. You're on the road. You're with your wife. It's this, it's this huge anniversary trip. And, and, you know, she wants to do all these special things and go to this stuff. And, and I'm just like, you know, and I, I'm trying to explain to her that this equipment announcement is really massive news. It's, it's not that we have all the details. We're going to share details with you in, in just a little while this morning uh, and, and discuss what it all means. But at the time that it was happening just a few weeks ago where the announcement was coming out and it was definitive that amateur golfers were not being separated or non-elite golfers as they define it, were not being separated from everybody else. Everybody is going to uh, bear the burden uh, for better or for worse, depending on uh, people's perspectives on all of this. Uh, all of this was going on. And, and I, I, was, I was trying to explain that from a golf equipment perspective, I can't think we've had technological developments that have been as important going from wood to steel, going from steel to titanium. For example, if we're talking about drivers uh, going from in the early 2000s with a, with the pro V from Titleist was a seismic shift in, in golf ball performance uh, in terms of, Equipment changes, even even if you will, going backwards uh, in terms of performance. Uh, the European ball going to the 1.62 a U.S. ball. The U.S. ball didn't travel as far, but it was adopted as the the standard as a standard ball in the uh, late 1960s. Maybe it's a little later than that, 1970s. Now that I think about it, Dom, you can check me on that if you have a chance to. If you put in 1.62 golf ball, U.S. ball, it's gonna it's gonna bring up what I'm talking about. Um, that's that's the that's that's what I've, in terms of timing. That's the only thing I can think of in terms of uh, a comparative so-called rollback. What was the year that it that was adopted as a definitive ball? Oh, I don't know the year. I was just giving you the other information. Uh, stand by. <laughs> I just want to confirm the year that that took place because that's the, that's the next thing that I would compare this to. You know, in terms of... It, it's so much happening right now that you have to look through periods of the history of the game to find comparisons. It so happens that in that late 1960s into the early 1970s, we are finding comparisons to today. When the PGA Tour, although it wasn't called that then, but the PGA Tour effectively broke away from uh, the, the tour players division of the PGA of America and formed their own league in which the PGA of America did not want to let them go, but it was the it official was Jack update Nicholas. in the rules. Matt didn't happen until 1990. Sorry to interrupt official until when the RNA, the RNA in 1974 
said that the smaller ball could not be used in the British Open, but they didn't actually change the rules until 1990. Yeah, but it became the ball of, of the professional competitions, is what I'm saying. The American ball was adopted. And so if you look at that late 1960s period and with that huge development, the splitting of the tour players away from the PGA of America, which to this day confuses people that there's a... Uh, who were you telling me, Dom? One of the one of the TV sports guys you watch, and he kept using PGA, and you could tell he wasn't aware that the PGA of America, um, the PGA Tour, are two different groups. I can groups. give you one example, but the 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 truth is all of them. Um, for those of us watching this show right now, you and I, people in the game, right? We know all the differences, the 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 value and importance that each hold in the game, all the stakeholders, all the governing bodies, the average sports fan doesn't know what the RNA and USGA is. They don't know the difference between the PGA of America and the PGA Tour. And generally speaking, I have found on all sports shows, globally practically, everyone just calls golf the PGA. That's what they call it. Yeah. So whenever they're talking about a golf, even the Masters, they're like, let's see what happened at the PGA. They don't, know, <laughs> they don't know there's two differences. They don't know that the PGA is also the PGA Championship. They don't know anything. And so it's what I, sorry for a rant, what I find enjoyable is that I'll turn on a sports show to see what they think about what's going on in this golf tournament, and immediately their credibility is destroyed immediately. It's like, oh, my God, I know more than this guy. Forget it. Why am I even watching this? Well, the observations <laughs> have merit, though, because I think in— It's not that complicated, is it? It's really not that complicated, I don't think. Uh, it's, it's too complicated for a sport as small as ours, right? That yeah. you have—they they call it golf stakeholders, which, which I always get somewhat amused by because I'm always wondering. I, I, it's, it's like when, when Live first came out and they started using the terminology of, of golf's ecosystem. That was the phrase then. And that made me kind of smile too because whenever someone talks about something, you know, especially when there's something new floating the periphery and people start to talk about the current ecosystem of whatever it is, industry, concepts, whatever. In this case, golf. They were talking about golf's ecosystem. And I always, I kind of smiled about it because it, it sounded to me like code for how things are right now and we don't want them to change. So that ecosystem implies, oh, we don't want to mess up the ecosystem. No, this is the ecosystem. Look, if you mess this up, look at all these horrible things that could happen. Dinosaurs would come back. So, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? So, I, those kind of phrases, I I always get a, a a bit of a kick out of. But it's it's like the one observation I've had more recently with with all of this is that when you look at when you look at what's going on in the world of of sport right now, like I think that I think the NFL this season has been and is incredibly compelling. Uh, I know that you're mad about how the college football playoffs are are playing out. And there's a lot of people that are that are saying there needs to be changes there. They're going to expand it. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Uh, but just you know that game, and I, and I don't have a dog in this fight. But when Alabama lost to Michigan the other night, uh, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. But I'm not an expert at it, so I was surprised uh, that 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 happened. And I'm thinking, she's that sport, right? The NHL has been great. The, the uh, Premier League is great. Liverpool's top of the table right now. Um, 
uh, NBA games, you name it. So I just think it's interesting that sport for us, right? I think it was Michael Murphy who wrote Golf in the Kingdom that he said that sports is Western meditation. In other words, it takes us away from everything else that's happening in the world that's generally so ugly. Unfortunately, with the game of golf is that there's been a lot of ugly. I think it's on the road to getting better, but there's been a lot of ugly over the last couple of years in fighting amongst people at times fighting at when they didn't need to. Uh, but so that instead of golf being our, our escape from the ugliness that we see plenty of happening around the world, it, it somehow became a place that also was about disagreement and, and conflict and, and judgment and finger pointing and, and we're better than you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm, I've that, if, I, if there's something I'm hoping for in 2024, I'm, I'm hoping that that starts to heal itself so that the game of golf for all of us again, and I say this completely selfishly, becomes a place that we can become immersed away from the horrors that are in other parts of life, that it can be our refuge from those places. I am too, Dom, very interested in what we're hearing from the people on this Tuesday. What's coming in today? Oh, an, an unbelievable amount of stuff is coming in. I don't have time to go through all of it. I'll try and jump around. A bunch of Happy New Year's. Happy New Year to you guys as well. Uh, it's been a very long break. The golf world, Michael says, seismic, seismically moved while we were <laughs> off. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> um, the, the list of things that we have to go over, it's going to take us weeks to, to comb through it all uh, in, a good, in a good way. There's just a lot to unpack. We can't yeah. just say, oh, the USGA did this. Oh, John Rahm went to live. Like, it's so much more... Uh, important, deeper. There's so many things we could, there's so many things to unpack, so many layers to all of this. It's incredible. And we also, also have updates on what they're calling now PGA tour enterprises. You know, Jay, Jay Monahan sent out a memo on new year's Eve. We're going to go through all of this stuff. Um, so new co is now officially going to be P- PGA tour enterprises. Say that again. I said new co is going to officially be PGA tour enterprises. Now I believe that is, yeah, that's, that's the current trajectory, but you know, Things seem to be in flux, so it wouldn't be shocking if that changes again. Uh, Tiger Woods has more hardware in him than a local Ace store. <laughs> Andrew, That's put true. that graphic back up. I think there are 30 things on that graphic. I know it's small, so you probably can't read all of it, but it's pretty obvious you can look at the line going to his back and be like, well, that's like 12 things that happened to his back, or that's like nine things that happened to his left knee. I mean, that's a, that's a broken professional athlete. That's what that is. That's incredible. That's unbelievable. And you so know, there's but some the, people going back and forth, obviously. But about, the story uh, with Tiger there, Dom, that, Tiger that there. I've heard it touched on, but I've never really heard it fully fleshed out. That amount of injuries from Tiger Woods are not just because he's a professional athlete. Tiger's not playing a contact sport. So how much of Tiger's injuries would have happened regardless, just on a normal arc of a tour player and how much of those injuries are direct. And I'm not talking about the car accident because that's obviously a car accident, but how much of his injuries are directly related to decisions he made in terms of his training. And had he not done that, meaning the training that led to the injuries, but regardless of that result, had he not done the training, would he not be the Tiger Woods of historic proportion? 
right? That whole that whole gumbo, that whole mix. I I I would love to if this, somebody wrote a book on it or or got a chance to really talk to him about it. I want I wonder what honestly I wonder what Tiger would have changed in how he prepared and what he did if it caused. Go ahead, Andrew. You can throw that back up there again. If it caused this. Right? Do you know anybody that has this amount of of thirty major injuries? It required twelve major surgeries, nine issues directly related to the back that also that required seven of those surgeries. He's had seven issues with the left knee alone, and again, you have to separate out of that the operations and and I think the injuries that were caused by the car accident, uh, but. Outside of that, there's still a lot of wear and tear in that body that was directly related to decisions, in my, my, my view, that he made about how he was going to train and what it led to. But would he be who he was if he didn't do that? Right? Curious what you guys think about that, too. Sorry, Dom, go ahead. Uh, Derek says, I drove from Slovakia to southern Spain through Austria, Italy, France, the Alps in Australia, and northern Italy are spectacular we're obviously going through Matt's trip, showing some pretty pictures. The, uh, the Christmas markets in Germany are the best. They are Derek cool. says, wow, what a trip. That's all exciting. Uh, there's a lot of people going back and forth about Liv's off-season. There seems to be some consensus about the pe- with the people watching. They're surprised that there weren't more people signing up. Big name signings. There was obviously some movement, right? You know, like Graham McDowell switches teams. The four aces picked up some people. I think Harold Varner... In addition to having a, a, a an issue with the law, also I think switched the team. Well, he got picked Brooks up. Brooks Koepka signed. Uh, Andy Ogletree got signed by uh, Phil Mickelson's team. Phil Mickelson's team. So there was team, movement. Yeah. Harold yeah, Varner movement, got picked up for uh, DWI. I believe yeah. it was just a night in, or two before uh, New Year's. Correct. Yep. There you can see the <laughs> foreboding mugshot, <laughs> and uh, representing the bald folks. Love it. And uh, he was charged with DWI, and this was ar- around the Charlotte area. He's obviously from the Carolinas. So I don't know what that's going to mean for his status with anything. I don't know if there are, are punishments for something like that. I know on the PGA Tour, Matt, they keep a lot of that stuff sort of hidden. Like, I think there are punishments handed out for certain things. Obviously, he's not on the PGA Tour, but there's no transparency there. So I think there's some things we, we don't know when someone... I just out of curiosity, that's like an that interesting happen, subject you brought up. What what would be, and we're going to get back to messages coming in, what would be the consequences, to use your phrase, what would be the consequences if you were in other major sports? I mean, when, when something like this Suspensions. has happened, how does that Suspensions. play itself out in terms of how the league or the team reacts? Suspensions. Typically, the league, obviously, it's a little bit specific as to what you're talking about. And I'm not as familiar with, like, the bylaws of the Premier League in Europe, but in England. But in the NFL and the NBA, traditionally, the league has league rules, like an umbrella that every team has to abide by. And something like that would result in, a, in just a suspension, essentially. Uh, and if nothing happens, a lot of times a team will also take action on their own and say, well, the league doesn't want to suspend you, but we do because, you know, that's not representative of our team and our values. So you can't play for five games or whatever it is. Now, depending on the action or what took place, what, what law was broken or laws were broken, the uh, punishment could be more severe than that. 
it, it, it changes with every league, with every player, with every specific thing. I mean, John ja Morant in the NBA missed like a huge chunk of like 20-something games or whatever in the first part of the season for going on Instagram and, you know, motioning with a gun and, and, and just doing some silly things that a 19-year-old would do. And he was suspended for like 25 games. So it just depends. It also depends, for better or worse, Matt, it depends on the eyeballs and the platform, right? If you're the fifth, if you're the 15th player on the bench, no one cares. No one will notice. They could give him a one-game suspension. It wouldn't matter because he would never play anyway. But when you're a name of, of note, usually the punishment can be a little bit harsher because they're trying to set an example. So it's obviously a little bit complicated, but... I don't know. I don't know if he's going to have any. You know, I don't know what's going to come of it. But I think in most sports there would be a, some sort of punishment for that. And I think on the PGA Tour, even though it's not made public, there's also a punishment. Would you agree with that of some kind? Yeah, I would tend to. But it's a good question, it, especially when it comes to live, because live part of what live has has built their league on is saying to players, this is a player's call it rights. Uh, players' benefits, well, however you want to phrase it, league, right? Wasn't that part of what whole, Phil's whole thing was? And if that's the case, does the league still play the heavy when they have to? And do they have to? That's a good question, too. Anyway, what else you got coming in? There's so much stuff coming in. I'll, I'll read one more thing because it's interesting, but it speaks to what we're trying to unpack here for the next couple of weeks as we get into the PGA show, which we're also very excited about. Lots of new equipment hitting the scene this year. What does the sports group, strategic sports group is who he's referencing, hope to get from investing in the PGA Tour? And is their involvement in the proceedings upsetting PIF and extending the formation of the new co, i.e. PGA Tour Enterprises? That is an extremely complicated question that does not have a simple answer, but it is precisely the kinds of things that we want to talk about on the show in the next coming weeks. What kind of impact this is going to have on golf as a whole, as a sport, on the PGA Tour, on Live Golf Tour, on the DP World Tour, and how they're going to sort of mesh together, assuming something comes together at all. They're, they're talking about doing an agreement. Uh, the talks have been extended. We will talk about that later and, and read some of the memo and, and get into the fine details of that. But it shows you that the, the folks watching are, are just as concerned about these things as we are, Matt. Yeah, I... Very, I don't want to get into that. It, I don't want to get into it right now because I want to get to. I've been promised you guys John Rom, and I want to get to John Rom. Uh, but in today's show, we will talk about that. Uh, the the SSG, as they're calling the, the Strategic Sports Group, and give you a definition of exactly what that is, who's behind it, what role they could be playing, and speculate as to the benefits of the same and what that might mean for everybody that is involved. Do you have anything else, Dom, you want to add with, uh, with what you have coming in before we go to break here and go to John Rahm? No, there's not enough time for me to read it all, but I love it. Keep it coming. Um, I'm trying to track it as best I can, and we will be talking about this in day after day. We're, we're going to keep talking about this stuff, guys. There's a lot so, to unpack. Yeah, definitely. And in the world of... I speak at least the golf world of ever changes. We have uh, some big news waiting in the wings for you guys too. We're working on the details of right now. If it all comes together as we anticipate, 
uh, we've we've got some great things to for us to share with all of you, and and hopefully you guys will celebrate and be along for the ride with us. Uh, the ride will not end on this Tuesday when we come back, as promised. John Rom announced that he is on his way to live. He sat down, he spoke with Liv's David Faraty, and that conversation in its entirety is coming up next. I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to BoyneGolf.com. I think when you're training for other sports or you're what why most people go to the gym is so that they can like have muscles and you know be strong and be healthy and a lot of the reason why they struggle to play golf is their body doesn't move properly for them to be able to hit a golf ball and when you're training for golf it's a little bit different because you're focused more on flexibility and mobility and being uh, strong in motion when you're able to kind of have a warm-up and have a workout routine and kind of gradually build up to where you're training your body to move properly yeah you're going to get a lot of big dividends on the golf course Easy now, find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips, where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. What if we started a company and the company was under no time constraints, no financial constraints? The one constraint is their clubs had to be exceptional performers and much better than any other alternative. I was told time and again, it'll never work. It worked like a house of fire. And I'll tell you what, I think our customers love it. BXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable all-terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, or cart, the decision is yours. Thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today. As we welcome you back to the Fairways of Life show, pleasure to have your company from wherever you are joining us. Matt Adams here with you. Uh, Andrew and Dom are behind the glass today. So when John Rahm announced that he had joined Liv, there was massive reaction. And we know that the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, 
the public investment fund, which owns Live, we know that they're involved in negotiations to become as one. We do know because there was a memo sent out by Jay Monahan just before uh, New Year's, which we'll get to a little bit later on in the program, that they've extended the period in which uh, they are seeking to come to an agreement. And yet, when John Rahm went to live, it seemed to flare up a lot of the same emotions that we have seen over the course of the last year and a half, this kind of uh, almost trench digging on each side, respectively. I'm not 100% certain why that happened because there was all kinds of speculation. People, it, those that were, that were inclined to criticize John Rahm to say, don't tell us it was about growing the game. This was all about money. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, we're talking about professional athletes here. When I think about that in the context of almost any other sport, do not those professional athletes that have the luxury of making a decision of where they're going to play generally go to a team or a league that's going to pay them the most? John Rahm spoke with Live Golf's David Faraty, and in this, in this interview, he explained why he made the decision. John, welcome to the Big Apple. It's a big day mm -hmm. Thank for you. you. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a yeah. very important day. And, and you're from a, a small village in the Basque region of Spain, and you, you come uh, to Arizona State. You, you don't speak a whole lot of English, uh, yet you get a degree in communications. But did you ever envisage a day like this in your career back then? Uh, I, no. I mean, it, this, there was no way to think of anything like this or envision a future like this, right? Uh, so no, it was never really a part of it, but it's, it's very exciting that now it is a possibility and a reality. Well, you've been the subject of rumors for uh, a long time now. What was it that finally made you make the leap? <laughs> God, yeah, it, uh, I've been hearing some things for a few years now. Yeah. Um, I think the innovation and, and the vision of Live Golf is what pushed me over to at least give it a chance and, and hear the pitch out and uh, ultimately ended up being what a I guess I wanted to hear, right? Uh, I believe in the growth of the game of golf. Uh, I've largely spoken about how Sevi improved the game of golf in Spain, yeah. and I've always said how I would like to do the same thing over there. And if I can reach a bigger audience, it would be amazing. And uh, I do believe this process will help me do that. Was there one aspect of the Live Golf League that, you know, helped you across the line? You know, it's even though it's not part of this sport, um, it is now, though, it was the team aspect of things, yeah. right? Some of the biggest sporting events, for the most part, people are following their teams. And I myself, growing up being a, a massive athletic Bilbao fan, uh, I realized that, you know, that has a bit of an appeal, right? Much more than, than I gave it credit to even in golf. And uh, it's something that I'm passionate about and something that hopefully I can learn a lot about and, 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 and improve. When your sons are old enough to understand what's happening here, how do you explain this decision to them? <laughs> uh, I don't even know if they'll ever care, to be honest. As long as dad comes home and, and keeps buying them trucks to play with, I think yeah. they'll be happy. Uh, and, that's, and so far, they only care that dad is dad, right? They really don't care what I do. They just want to see me be happy, and I want to see them be happy. But if I had to put it into words, I would tell them I essentially did what I thought was best for me, them, their mom and the future of her family. You know, speaking of kids, we're attracting uh, a younger audience and it's, uh, it's a global audience. How do you feel about that? Very happy. 
uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing some venues overseas. Yeah. It's, it's one of the appeals, right? Again, to see new places, new audiences, new crowds, new golf courses. It's all something that very few sports can facilitate and golf can. So I'm really looking forward to that and uh, getting to experience some of uh, the very, very good highlights that I've seen online. Do you think people uh, underestimate the way the players are invested in the team concept? I believe so. Yeah, I don't think it's spoken about enough. I think yeah. uh, you have some of the best players in the world who are also now leaders of their own team, partners of the league in a, in a massive business that's global that is ever growing, right? So it's an aspect of the game that I myself looked over that now is uh, it's a reality and I can't wait to get into it and learn more. And, and hopefully evolve my team and my brand. How much uh, did uh, the Mickelsons, Phil and Tim, uh, influence did they have on you uh, with this decision? And also, you know, you're represented by Steve Loy, mm -hmm. the same. There was no player that actively tried to convince me to switch and, and take this step, right? Uh, they were always happy to answer my questions, whether it was Tim, whether it was Phil, whether it was uh, Sergio, people I'm really close with, uh, a Pat Perez who plays golf at Silverleaf with me very often. Yeah. I never had anybody actively pitch me changing my career path, uh, but everybody was very willing to answer the questions that I had. I'm a curious guy and wanted to learn about it, and you know, slowly the love um, started to grow. All right, that is part one from David Faraty speaking with John Rahm as to what went into the decision of John Rahm deciding to join Live? He specifically mentioned the innovation of Live Golf, the fact that he wanted to grow the game on an international basis, and he even referenced Seve Ballesteros, Ballesteros doing the same thing. He did mention, and he did it multiple times, that the team aspect of Live Golf was something that was unique and that he's very much looking forward to, even mentioning that he thinks that it should be talked about a lot more in terms of, and I think that's part of the innovation that he was uh, referencing there too. I liked when David asked him, how would you describe this to your children when they're old enough to understand what you did? And he basically said, I did what was best for me. Uh, and then David also spoke to Live Golf with their stated goal that they're trying to get to a younger demographic and of course a global uh, demographic. And at times I think people forget that John Rahm is an international player. You can see uh, the world rankings graphic that is next to me. There you see John Rahm. Number three on the list, the next highest uh, is Brooks Kepka at number 17. And, and bear in mind, a live golf is still not getting world ranking points, which I still believe is something that they need to figure out that they have to find a way for a live golf to get some world ranking points. But John Rahm wasn't done in terms of what he did, how he did it, why he did it. Here is part two of his conversation with David. Does it feel like a change in your career path or just a, a part of the evolution? Honestly, I've, I've made changes in my life. Uh, that maybe now seem small, but at the time were big, right? I went from an old Basque high school to Madrid to a golf academy, all Spanish, which it might seem small, but it's still a different language. And, uh, and I left my home, right? Yeah. So I was 15 at the time, that was a big change. Then going to Arizona State with never been in the US, didn't know what college golf was all about, had no idea really where I was going or what I was doing in limited English. So this almost seems like just another one of those 
steps uh, in which I've grown so much and have improved my game so much. So as far as I'm concerned, I just want to be the best golfer I can be. And uh, this is a good platform for it. Did you ask advice from any other live players other than Sergio and Phil? No, not really. Uh, no, there's, there's one player whose caddy was my college teammate, which is Pooch. His caddy, Alberto, is, was a college teammate, a roommate of mine for almost four years. So obviously I ask him the same questions and I'm curious to see how the caddies get treated as well and how yeah. other players that maybe are not captains get treated. But um, I never secretly act, uh, you know, seek for advice. Uh, but they were, again, they were always very happy to answer the questions. Well, the rumors started weeks ago, I guess, you know, but what is the uh, reaction you've received to the, the people that you have let know what you're doing? It's, it's been a very close circle of people that have actively let know what, what was going on. Uh, and even the people that heard the rumors that wanted to give me their opinion, uh, it's, it's all been extremely positive. Um, I'm very lucky to have the friends and family that I have, and they just want to see me happy. So that's always the answer that I got. Whatever makes me happy, and a lot of them supported the the possible career path. Well, players at the very top of the game, like yourself, you know, have commercial attachments, have sponsorships, that kind of thing. Are any of yours, you know, ready to make this leap with you? Yeah, this is uh, this is important. I mean, my sponsors, I I choose them carefully, and luckily they've. They've chosen me back, yeah. Uh, and I want to have a connection with the sponsors that I have to be able to represent them the best I can. And uh, I can say, as of right now, that after meeting with with uh, with Callaway and some of their uh, executives, they do want to continue this partnership with my transition to Live Golf. So, so yeah, I'm excited to be able to announce that. What have you learned about yourself throughout this this whole process? How much time do we have to answer that question? <laughs> um, I think the number one thing I learned is that I love the game of golf and I'm on the side of golf, right? When I ever go on discussion, I want golf to succeed. And the second that at the end of the day, a man's gonna make a decision which is best for him and his family, right? It's that simple, which is what this boiled down to. What do you think the biggest adjustment is gonna be for you? I don't know. Um, do you feel like you're stepping into the unknown to a certain extent? A little bit. It, it's a different environment, right? Like it is a different environment. I play golf at home with music on. I've never played a tournament with music on. So I think it's going to be an adjustment period, uh, but it's an exciting adjustment, right? Like I'm looking forward to it. It's something different. It's something that is on the PGA Tour in some events has been talked about before. So uh, just looking forward to actually seeing it in action. We're looking forward to seeing you in action too. Congratulations. Thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for joining me here. Thank you. So John Rahm speaking with David Faraty, that was courtesy of Live Golf. And I think about it from the perspective, if you were John Rahm and you were offered what we're hearing were massive, massive sums of money to join Live Golf with full knowledge that the public investment fund that owns Live is actively engaged in negotiations with the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, to bring all of these tours together. So you're facing the very real prospect, right? That you could be playing in the events that you want to play in on the PGA Tour in some maybe not so distant future. 
the likes of Rory McIlroy has already came out and said, well, we need to change the criteria for the Ryder Cup to get someone like John Rahm on it, paraphrasing. I'm not so sure if the vast majority of people would not have made the exact same decision that he made. And then through the course of the interview you just watched, you heard more reasons that were part of the decision process that he went through to decide live golf is the right decision for me right now. Lots of things to think about. And we are not done yet on the fairways of life show. The USGA and the RNA have decided to roll back the golf ball. Details of the same came out recently. We'll talk about that coming up on the show. And as to the negotiations between PIF, the Public Investment Fund, and the PGA Tour, we had news from the commissioner of the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan. That ahead. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips. Where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> Find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. In Ireland, golf is more than just a game. Come and experience our world-famous Lynx courses and our world-famous Parkland courses, all set alongside world-famous scenery. And visit our world-famous historic sites. And while you're here, enjoy our world-famous hospitality. Fill your heart with Ireland at ireland.com forward slash golf. It screams. It tracks. It's soft. It reacts. It is the Bridgestone Tour B with a game-changing reactive cover designed to spring faster off your driver and stick longer to your wedges. Try Bridgestone's Tour Bs. The Tour Ball reinvented. The Gen 6 Iron is a culmination of everything that we have learned as a team. The absolute best golf club I've ever hit. It's something special. Say hello to the new PXG Gen 6 Iron. The longest, most accurate irons we've ever made. They go higher and farther than any iron that I have hit to date. And they're so easy to hit. Super excited for the consumer to try this. They're going to love them. PXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Baseball? Nah. Football? Done it. I think I'm gonna go after the PGA Tour. Bo, you're gonna need the right equipment company. I think I got that. You know Tour Edge backs all their clubs with a lifetime warranty. I know. They ship all their premium custom clubs in 48 hours. I know. All their premium clubs are hand-built in the USA. I know. You know Tour Edge has won 35 times out here. Guys, I know. Pound for pound, nothing comes close. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. 
Welcome back to the Fairways of Life Show. Pleasure to have you company, folks. So, in the time period when we were enjoying the holidays, the news broke from the USGA and the RNA that the rollback details are now known. They are out there. And one of the things that was, I think, surprising, at the very least to many, was that it will include recreational golfers. This is USGA and RNA rollback of the golf ball's details. The revised ball testing conditions will be as follows. 125 mile per hour club head speed. It's equivalent to 183 mile per hour ball speed. A spin rate of 220 RPM and a launch angle of 11 degrees. The current conditions, which were established 20 years ago, are set at 120 miles per hour, equivalent to 176 miles per hour ball speed. 2,520 RPM with a 10 degree launch angle. The analysis of ball speeds among golf's longest hitters in 2023 shows that the fastest 10 players had an average ball speed of 186 miles per hour, while the average ball speed of the fastest 25, next 25, was 183.4 miles per hour, with the very fastest average 190 miles per hour. Okay, so... The first thing that I want to have happen here is I want for you guys to be able to hear from the USGA and the RNA because the USGA and the RNA have said that the impact on distance is going to be far less dramatic than what people maybe previously have thought. And I'm not blaming anybody on what their thoughts were uh, before details have been released because how would you know? There wasn't any real, there was an argument made that the game was getting too long, and I think there was merit to much of that, at least at the very elite level in terms of the stated objective that the governing bodies had in terms of 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years down the road, right? Uh, but let's take a look at this graphic in terms of what distance is and what impact you can expect depending upon what level you play the game. There you can see the very, very top in terms of performance relative to distance, 9 to 11 yards is what they're estimating it will impact the best players in the world. The best female players in the world, 5 to 7 yards. And then the average male, they're saying 3 to 5 yards, and the average female, 1 to 3 yards. Let's first start then with Thomas Pagel of the United States Golf Association explaining how they arrived at this solution. The average club head speed is 115 miles an hour. Uh, on the PGA Tour, we'd expect the average PGA Tour, or average elite male, to have an impact of 9 to 11 yards. When we get to those players that achieve that ball speed of 183 or higher, they're going to have a greater impact. We're going to see closer to that 13 to 15 yard range. Um, and so, yes, it's going to impact golfers differently. But, but what we also see is based on uh, impact, based on spin, based on these other uh, variables around hitting a ball, by the time you get to your five iron, this is even at the elite level, we would expect that there would be no distance change. So this really is about drivers. Just like the rest of the industry, a lot of people like to, to suggest or think that it's the governing bodies and we're sitting back in our offices and we're just collaborating USG and RNA. It's a cross-industry collaboration. We're having weekly, if not daily, conversations with manufacturers, with, with the tours, uh, with people like Mark Brody to better understand the subject and, frankly, understand all, um, all views, all perspectives and make a balanced decision. 
All right, so that was Thomas Pagel from the USGA. As to the details and how it will impact the game of golf and you specifically, when it was announced in December 6th, remember it was December 6th, 2023, already last year, it will take effect in 2028 for the top tier of the game. For recreational golfers, that will not kick in until 2030. The ball testing limit, as mentioned, 125 miles per hour. And what needs to be stated there is that this robot testing the ball going from 120 to 125, the distance, maximum distance is the exact same. So you can see that if you were up against it at 120, you're going to push beyond it at 125. Uh, The overall distance reduction, there is, it's a little bit hard for me to pin it down based upon the graphic that the USGA sent to us. Uh, We have heard 5% use, which would be a different figure. Uh, we've, we've, we've heard 15 yards used at the top tier of the game. Uh, we're waiting for more information on that as, as they continue to get more data. The governing bodies have said they will continue to monitor the performance of the drivers. And I'm assuming what they're referring to there is MOI, which stands for moments of inertia, which is stability at the moment of impact, particularly on off center hits and the performance that you get in distance that you generate uh, therein. I think they're also referring to size. Obviously they're referring to wayward spin. So there are things that they're still looking at in, in terms of, of the game. And then what they're looking for as well as what they're phrasing as is long-term stability in the game. Now, Mike Wan is the CEO of the USGA, and Mike spoke about the very difficult position that golf's governing bodies are in because you're going to have people that passionately are on one side of this argument or another, and what does the the governing bodies do in order to find a pathway somehow between that? We think this strikes the best balance. And, um, and I will say, uh, uh, there'll be no doubt that over the next week, days, years, they'll be alarmist and there'll be people screaming about distance losses that are just quite frankly unfounded relative to the truth. As Martin said, this is gonna have a zero to five yard impact on the driver of, of our average recreational golf, depending on how much ball speed they can generate. I say zero because about a third of the golf ball models that are already on our conforming list today will still be on our conforming list in 2028. So if you're a golfer who's already playing that front tee and you're using a ball to kind of help you get as much as your game as you can, that ball is more than likely to still be approved in 2028. And so we would see zero impact. But uh, even if you go to something different, we're talking about something less than, uh, you know, less than five yards on your driver and we see no impact from five iron down, no matter what level player we're seeing. So I just don't want the alarmist to take over the day. Um, we've been from the very beginning, and Martin's been the loudest to his credit, from every time, every meeting, every call, every proposal, if it had an impact on the, on the recreational game that we thought could reduce the, either the excitement, the joy, or the desire to play this game, it's been off the table. Inevitably, this is a balance, and inevitably, half the people will think we've not done enough, and half the people will think we've done too much. But I think the USG and the RNA have listened. We have dealt with our responsibilities um, in regards to this. And we're we're totally focused on the future of golf and the long-term health of uh, our sport. We don't have ball contracts. I don't have a club deal. 
Um, I, I'm not, I don't have members with a retirement account I'm trying to address. We are put in these positions so that we can govern without bias, look at the game long term and do what we think could really be great for the game, knowing that everybody else has to look through a different lens when it comes to change. And as Martin said, I use the term a lot, governance is hard. Tonight we'll both go open up our computers and we'll have thousands of emails from people saying, I can't believe you did that. And we'll have the same number of emails from people saying, I can't believe that's all you did. And they'll both be written with the same level of passion. Um, and they'll both be right. I understand that. But this is, this is us about finding, the, finding a great balance so that our kids and our kids' kids uh, inherit a game that is at least as good as the game we inherited. So all of that sound that you just heard was courtesy of Golf Channel. When the announcement was made, uh, I think it's too early to put any kind of judgment on this, harsh or otherwise, because we just don't know. I mean, you just heard Mike Wan, the CEO of the USGA, say that the impact on the average recreational golfer is going to be between zero to five yards, which is different than the graphic that we saw. And I'm not saying that as a point of criticism. I'm saying that as a point of we just don't know yet. Between now and 2028, I think one of the things that I anticipate is going to happen is they're going to start to salt the proposed ball or the definitive ball. I'm not even sure what the status is on that out into the marketplace so people can actually get data about what's happening and maybe they'll modify the ball. There is a lot of talk. You know, many of the manufacturers have come out and said that they're not in favor of this rule because what's the number one reason that most people buy golf balls? I'm not talking about people that don't pay for the golf balls. I'm talking about you guys. What's the number one reason that you buy most golf balls in distance is either number one or it's close to number one. The better players want a little bit more control, so it may edge above it. But vast majority is distance. So that's why the manufacturers are saying, I don't think they're thinking this all the way through yet. A distance is an important factor here. But what they're saying is, is they think that they have a combination technically in a golf ball where for the vast majority of amateur golfers, and I assume it's because you're not generating enough club head speed to compress the ball to a point that it makes a difference, will not see a discernible difference in the distance that they hit versus the distance that they hit it with the so-called new ball. My sense is, is that the more power that you have, the more speed that you have, the more it will be impacted uh, adversely in terms of where you are currently. So I think... Part of this is data-driven. Part of this is getting more information. Uh, part of this, which I think is also important to realize here, is that as people are starting to draw lines as to where they feel, what side they feel that they're on with this issue, I think it's important for people to realize that I think it's important for people to realize that when they say that the, you know, a person is on a side of a manufacturer or not on the side of the manufacturer or on the side of rolling back distance for the game overall, I think it's critically important that people realize that ultimately manufacturers with whatever happens here and the governing bodies are resolute. This is the rule. This is the direction that they are going. What, what I'm not convinced on is that they have all the data yet to determine exactly what the ball will be that will fit within the confines. Maybe they do. And I look forward to learning more about that 
Because if it is the ball that they're saying where it says, eh, it has a minimal impact on, on the, the golfers who are out there, you know, playing once or twice a week. Okay. But they want to slow down the very, very best players in the world for the long-term uh, health of the game. All right. I don't, I don't know too many people that could ardently argue with that. However, when people have the argument of diminishing someone's perspective because they say, well, they're only going to show for the manufacturer's perspective on this. You have to remember, folks, the manufacturers are not going to suffer. The manufacturers are concerned about what you do, surely. But think about it from a manufacturer's perspective. As the clock ticks closer to these deadlines, how many golf balls do you think they're going to sell? How many are you going to stack up on of the so-called old golf ball, right? And then once you get past that line, will you be losing less golf balls because the golf ball may be slightly less efficient if you somehow pick up a tremendous amount of club head speed? So what I'm saying is the manufacturers are going to be okay. The question that remains with all of this simply comes down to, in reality, and based upon actual performance, have they found the golf ball to fit the formula that they want to have? They seem confident that they've done it, and from that perspective, from from the, for the good, I guess to say, for everyone, I hope that's the case. More coming up on the Fairways of Life show. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about where we stand with the PGA Tour, PIF, who owns LIV, and other entities, including the DP World Tour and a consortium of perhaps major investors, changing the game of golf at its highest level. I guess, hello world, huh? <laughs> and with one subtle hello, Tiger began an amazing and unthinkable career. I've done it for 20 years now with, with Bridgestone. It allows me to play an aggressive style around the greens, and it's allowed me to win a lot of tournaments. Bridgestone Golf, proud to be part of your journey. Boyne Golf provides the ultimate world-class golf destination with 10 championship-caliber courses spanning three resorts. Centered in Michigan's northern Lower Peninsula, the courses are the products of some of the game's masters, including Robert Trent Jones Sr., Arthur Hills, and Donald Ross. From the all-inclusive vacation packages, elite instruction with the Boyne Golf Academy, tournaments, and so much more, Boyne Golf truly offers an unrivaled Michigan golf vacation experience. Just log on to boynegolf.com. I think when you're training for other sports or you're what why most people go to the gym is so that they can like have muscles and you know be strong and be healthy and a lot of the reason why they struggle to play golf is their body doesn't move properly for them to be able to hit a golf ball and when you're training for golf it's a little bit different because you're focused more on flexibility and mobility and being uh, strong in motion when you're able to kind of have a warm-up and have a workout routine and kind of gradually build up to where you're training your body to move properly yeah you're going to get a lot of big dividends on the golf course Easy now, find your happy place. The PGA Tour Superstore. It's all in the hips, where every swing is possible. Just tap it in. Yes! <laughs> find all the latest gear, apparel, and personalized club fittings. 
Is this goodbye? We've only just begun. Shop with the pros at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. What if we started a company and the company was under no time constraints, no financial constraints? The one constraint is their clubs had to be exceptional performers and much better than any other alternative. I was told time and again it'll never work. It worked like a house of fire. And I'll tell you what, I think our customers love it. BXG, nobody makes golf clubs the way we do, period. Zero Friction introduces the Wheel Pro Push Cart Golf Bag with its revolutionary three-in-one design, supportive legs that spring into action, a comfort grip handle with three locking positions, accessories for the modern golfer enhanced by seven pockets for more storage, and removable all-terrain wheels which slide right into place. The new Zero Friction Wheel Pro Golf Bag checks every box for every golfer. Push, carry, or cart, the decision is yours. Thanks to Zero Friction. Head to ZeroFriction.com today. Fairways of Life Show. I am Matt Adams. So I found this article at PGATour.com, which the intent of the article was to give a synopsis on, on where it stands between the PGA Tour, between negotiations with PIF, between DP World Tour and the SSG group, as they're calling. I'm going to read this to you and see if it fills in some of the blanks. It's credited to the staff from the PGA Tour. Uh, what you're looking at on your screen, that was from Rex Hoggard from golf channel the memo that was sent out by jay monahan and this reads pj tour provided its players with an update in negotiations with strategic sports group ssg the public investment fund pif and the dp world tour via memo from pga tour commissioner jay monahan last sunday the memo covered three primary points first monahan noted that quote we have made meaningful progress, close quote, in negotiations with SSG and are currently working towards finalization of terms and drafting necessary documents. Secondly, within just hours from December 31st and the expiration date of the framework agreement with the PIF and the DP World Tour, the memo spoke to an effort to extend the deadline into this new year based upon progress made to date. Monaghan categorized the PIF and the DP World Tour discussions as, quote, active and productive close. Finally, the memo restated the tour's goal relative to all negotiations, which is to bring SSG, PIF, and the DP World Tour on board as minority co-investors in PGA Tour Enterprises in 2024. Monaghan said, quote, these partnerships will allow us to unify innovate and invest in the game for the benefit of players, fans, and sponsors, close quote. Several players were already in Kapalua for this week's event where FedEx Cup champion Victor Hovland and world number one Scotty Scheffler are amongst the headliners at the Century, which will kick off the 2024 PGA Tour season. This week also marks the Tour's return to a calendar year schedule. The tour has been negotiating with PIF since June's framework agreement was announced. It has since announced a host of other interested investors. The list was formalized in early December when the board unanimously agreed to further negotiate with SSG, a consortium of U.S.-based professional sports team investors led by Fenway Sports Group. Okay, so I thought that that article kind of summarized pretty well 
what the status is. I guess the next question is, and it answers uh, something that we were asked about earlier, the why question to all of this. I think the first question with the SSG uh, in the why to this the this sports uh, consortium uh, is first of all to understand that that Fenway Sports Group uh, is a major owner of major league teams. It includes the Pittsburgh Penguins. It includes the Boston Red Sox. It includes, uh, for example, Liverpool in the in the Premier League. But you have to ask the question. For someone willing to put up, and this group is a consortium of such groups, for them to put up a massive sum of money, right? The first question has to be, why? If they're going to do it, they owe it to themselves, certainly, to look upon it as an opportunity to make a profit on that investment, right? It isn't just about benevolence. It isn't just because they have a CEO, say, that loves the game of golf, this is about investing somewhere where you feel like there's going to be a return. So from that standpoint, it's very healthy for the game of golf. It's healthy for everyone collectively that someone's willing to come in and write a massive check, not unlike PIF is willing to do. From the political side, is it a benefit to PIF and the PGA Tours negotiations that other sources of investment are willing to step in. It absolutely is, because remember, not only do they have the Department of Justice lurking around this transaction, but they also have members of the Senate that have become actively involved in holding hearings as to whether or not this is something they want to do. And, and uh, Senator Blumenthal's statement on it, he called the PGA Tour a cherished American institution, and their concern was uh, that the uh, Saudi royal family's public investment fund was taking on such an investment. Uh, so from that standpoint, it may take the heat off the transaction. From the perspective of PIF and the the, uh, live golf, et cetera. I think they're, they're, they have a reason that they want to be involved in this from the beginning. There's a reason why they agreed to the, to the framework in June and negotiating towards the same. I think they're looking upon it as saying, look, wh what do they want to accomplish? They want to grow, live as big as they possibly can. They want to have the best players in the world involved in it. The signing of John Rahm when presumably it was in the, in the middle or, or uh, perhaps at some percentage, we don't know what percentage deep into these negotiations, uh, was that a, was that firing across the bow of the PGA Tour to say let's let's keep going on this stuff because if it doesn't work, we have the wherewithal to bring on the players that we want. Pretty powerful negotiating strategy, wouldn't you agree? But in terms of bringing it all together, I think the PGA Tour. It seems as though again, you're talking. Uh, we're on the outside looking in. It seemed as though for the PGA Tour, they seemed at least, in my view, a surprise that there was, there was so much interest from other parties to invest in golf at its highest tier competitively. And the fact that that interest is there now while they're having discussions with the Public Investment Fund and the DP World Tour to be able to bring all of these entities together which brings us back to the concept that we were introduced to from them in June to say this is a way to settle down the game of golf at its top tier. What will that mean in terms of the diversity of competition that's available out there? What will that mean in terms of players that are in one league or another having more opportunities to play against each other? We don't fully know 
the answer to all these details yet, uh, but it will be very interesting uh, to see how all of that plays itself out. At least what we do have right now is more information as to how things are progressing. Now, there was some other news uh, that came out uh, during the period in which we were on hiatus for the holidays, included a big interview with Patrick Cantlay that was done with golf.com. And I just, I thought it was a, an interesting array of comments from Patrick Cantlay in terms of uh, his perspective on how things are going. Cause remember Patrick Cantlay was one of the voices that was strongly rumored that he was on his way going to live. He's now on the, the board of the PGA Tour. And he says, here's a quote from it. I care a lot about the PGA Tour. I grew up wanting to play in the PGA Tour and win tournaments in the PGA Tour. And I've been fortunate enough to have done that. So when I joined the board, I viewed that as a responsibility. It was important for me to take that very seriously. And I've taken that very seriously. He spoke to his goal on being on the board. He says, my goal being on the PGA tour policy board is to represent all members, both current and future to the best of my ability. And so that's what I've been trying to do. And that's what all player directors have been trying to do. And then he said, we've been working really closely over the last many months as a unit to make the best collective decisions that represent the interests of all the members with a membership as wide ranging as the PGA tour. It is expected that there are, different perspectives close quotes uh from patrick cantlay and remember uh, jordan spieth has replaced rory mcelroy on the board rory mcelroy removed himself uh, from the pga tour policy board what does it all mean well we have the pleasure of saying to all of you that we're going to be here for every step of it as we continue on through 2024 will 2024 be the year in which the game of golf actually does settle down? Will it be the year in which at its highest levels? Will it be a year in which we see more clarity as to what's going on with the game and maybe less risk for some or maybe more opportunity for others? How it will play itself out is something that will remain to be seen. We love that you're here with us. Thank you so much for being with us uh, along the way so far over the last few years that we created the television side in earnest, uh, the Fairways of Life show. We've got some exciting things coming up for you to share uh, in 2024, but mostly we want to share our collective appreciation, gratitude for you guys and what you're doing. So until we are together again, we wish you guys to be well and when we're together again, maybe we'll have more information on what's going on all this. At the very least, we're going to have more information on what happened with uh, the century, amongst others. Until then, bye for now.